We are back in with the latest edition of the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. I am the somewhat capable host, TJ Reeves. He is the guy that you are tuning in to hear for the takes, for the insight on everything that he already, already, already writes and has analysis on in terms of the written word. From SportsMediaWatch.com, John Lewis back aboard here as part of the podcast. Good to be back with you as we percolate along here in the month of April. Masters in the books, baseball underway, NBA playoffs looming. How are things, sir? I'm all busy as ever, as usual, right? So uh, just uh, getting through it. It is good to uh, to remain busy. We, we put college basketball to bed uh, yeah. as well. We're going to have Stanley Cup playoffs before we know it. Uh, etc. Reminder to you folks in the audience, however you found us through John's site, sportsmediawatch.com, through a social media link. Make sure you follow or subscribe this to this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get podcasts. It's the easiest way that it comes to you. Comes to you early in the week. You'll get a notification. You will know that there's a new episode that is out. And John also does a great job of promoting it through his site as well. If you're reading the site on sportsmediawatch.com, it's almost inescapable in a good way that you will know something about a new podcast and our takes being out. And I love this. So let's roll up the sleeves and, and kind of dig right in right away because we've got a lot to cover from several different sports. So the Masters concluded this weekend, the golf tournament uh, and the coverage on CBS and obviously their various platforms with the Masters Online and ESPN Plus and so many different ways that you can watch it. John, I just make a quick comment here. I'm a longtime golf fan. I know I'm older than you. There were so many years where you did not see the first two rounds of the Masters, hello, at all on yeah. TV. The only thing you saw was the late night highlight show on CBS, like after the late show with David Letterman or whatever else they were showing late night after the late local news. So like Thursday and Friday, you saw nothing. And then on Saturday and Sunday, you were fortunate if you got about a three hour window between three and six Eastern time. I'm talking about in the eighties, even into the nineties, John, yeah. that's what you got for coverage. Now you can see almost anything and it's all over online and ESPN Plus. So I was fascinated to watch all this. Give me a couple of thoughts. Tiger Woods' return completed all four rounds, didn't contend. Amazing recovery from the car accident and a shattered ankle. Scotty Scheffler, a Texan, wins the tournament. He's been red hot on the PGA Tour and wins the Masters. What are your thoughts on all of that, John? Well, I guess my primary thought is uh, you can watch the entire Masters on ESPN Plus or Masters Live and never tune in for a second on CBS, which seems like a problem. Uh, you know, people have talked about Masters Live for a long time, and they've asked me questions. Well, what is, what is the impact of Masters Live? I'll be completely honest and say, up until this year, I'd never watched Masters Live. So I honestly assumed that, you know, it was maybe kind of like the outer court coverage you might get of a tennis tournament that you couldn't necessarily watch the entire thing start to finish. Um, but you can. And to me, I'm, am I thinking that that's a big factor? I have no clue. I know that, um, I know that, uh, what do you call it? Uh, red zone mm -hmm. is not as big a factor as people think, right? You, you would instinctively imagine that red zone would be a huge, you know, draw, but the NFL does not seem to be indicating that it is. So maybe Masters Live is, is similar and that there's not a particularly big impact there. But I have to imagine that there's at least some cannibalization happening where, you know, people are watching the Masters but not being tracked because it's not on CBS. So that's interesting to me um, that there's that level of streaming coverage. And if there's that level of streaming coverage, then why not have it on TV? 
I know the Masters is very old fashioned. So it's really weird that they are totally fine with, um, with the streaming coverage being so extensive. I mean, then why can't CBS hear that coverage or ESPN? I mean, it's bizarre. Well, and again, I, I said it in the lead as the as the lead up. They used to not let you see any of them. I mean, you never saw the front nine, for example. Uh, usually, the the Saturday and Sunday coverage would pick up like on the ninth hole or the tenth hole. Now you can see it all. Uh, and there were so many years. This is going back probably fifteen years ago where they would have the coverage of Masters Live, John, on the amen corner holes, 10, 11, and 12. <clears throat> Maybe they would have 15 and 16, the famous par 3 16th, where we've seen so many dramatic moments. And then uh, they, in recent years, the featured group, where we're only following Tiger Woods and his group uh, for this full four and a half hours that you're watching. Well, now they had like four, like three or four different feeds of feature groups, the holes, uh, different things that you could watch online on ESPN Plus. So I understand your point. Um, and I agree, it does not take a drastic amount of audience away, but it is taking some. It's yeah. probably taking, I don't I don't think it's wrong to say that it's probably taking several hundred thousand people, several hundred thousand people over the course of a day yeah. that are watching some of these individual things as, as opposed to watching the entire coverage. Um, I think that's probably fair. Um, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Anything else on that? Because I've got one more point, too. Well, you know, I mean, uh, ultimately, uh, it's a pretty decent viewing experience. There's no ads. I know there's limited ads on CBS, but there's no ads at all on, on Masters Live. And the announcers are fine. I have no idea who they are. I was trying to figure out who they are the entire time. But. Sometimes they introduce themselves. One of my buddies, Grant Boone, does a fantastic job on the Amen Corner and has done it for years. And he does a lot of work on the Golf Channel and a lot of uh, golf coverage uh, online uh, as well for the different outlets. Kelly Tillman, who used to be the lead mm. golf announcer on the Golf Channel, was also doing some on Amen Corner. Again, I I come out of a background of having broadcasted for PGA Tour Radio previously, so I know a lot of these colleagues of mine that have worked. Um, interesting that Ian Eagle, I know you're big on him, he used to do the Masters live coverage for years, but Ian was not on the coverage this year anywhere that I heard on it. Uh, Andrew Catalan actually began doing Masters Live online, and now they've brought, bumped him up to being in a tower calling golf on one of the holes, on the 14th hole or one of the holes. So there's some, there's almost like a farm system, like a right. layers of the farm system to work your way uh, up to CBS. So real quick on the ratings, as, as we would suspect, without the biggest names in contention at the top, I mean, please, Scotty Scheffler has won some recently, but he's not a household name. Yeah. He's not Filler Tiger. Cam Smith of Australia is not is not a worldwide known name, not a player like Rory McIlroy or, or or one of the greats. Okay, so relative to everything else, did the Masters take a hit 2022 now that the info is coming in, John? Well, you know, viewership up from last year, but modestly, right? And uh, the reality is that, you, you know, it's a lot to ask for a golf tournament to average a six rating nowadays. So 5.8 is... Pretty good. I mean, not pretty good. 5.8 is excellent, except it's one of the lowest Masters final round ratings ever. You know, that's just a kind of, that's where we are in the industry. Um, pretty good now is what used to be really, really bad. 
So I think if you're CBS, you're satisfied. I mean, a six rating and over 10 million viewers for five hours of golf where Tiger wasn't a factor and nobody familiar was a factor except for Rory. Rory doing his best Lakers impression and having a strong finish when he was <laughs> when the game was already over. You know, I mean, ultimately, uh, that's as good as you're going to get, I, I think, in my view. So um, I think if you're CBS, you take that. Uh, I don't think the Masters is going to get back to a seven plus rating and 13 million viewers again, unless Tiger wins it. And and when he won it a couple of years ago in 2019, what was that number again? And remember, we remind the audiences that it was time displaced. Yep. He had won it earlier in the day. You you could see it live and then they were showing it again in the normal window where the later uh, you know, mountain time zone and Pacific time zone were able to see it. What was that number in comparison when Tiger won it to this year? Well, that was fascinating because the live number was pretty low compared to if you look at the live number alone, you'll say, wait, Tiger's wind didn't really move the needle. But that was because it was in the morning. Mm -hmm. uh, if you look at the live plus taped window, it was nearly a 10 rating. Wow. Right. So, you know, there was a lot of interest in that. But the live window really did not do all that well. Interesting. Uh, so, yeah, that was. but it, I mean, compared to I mean, the live window that year, even at 9 a.m., beat all the subsequent years, 2021 20, and 22. And Mr. Woods has a lot to do with that. They were trying to shot. I keep, I keep reciting the, uh, the fame sting song of the 1980s. Every move you make, every breath you take, uh, every step you uh, make uh, all, if I've repeated myself, I'll be watching you. Everything Tiger Woods does at one of these, especially at Augusta, they're going to show everything. So they, with him hopelessly out of contention, they were showing still every shot oh, yeah. on Saturday and Sunday because it's Tiger Woods. And there's two or three million more people watching because it's Tiger Woods. And we can't uh, look, uh, there were there were wonders uh, about whether he would ever be able to play on, on a big time stage like this again. And yeah. the fact that he was out there and the fact that he was making birdies, pretty remarkable recovery. We overstayed and used hyperbole a bunch, but John, you would agree with me. Pretty remarkable yeah. to be recovered from a shattered ankle and be able to walk that course and play and hit some decent shots and, and have some thrills for the fans. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and an incredible story. I mean, unless your name is Rick Riley, uh, then you might have a different opinion on it. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, Rick has cited out for Tiger for so long. And, you know, he brought up a very a, a useful point that we do overlook the circumstances of Tiger's crash. But he's such an obvious, you know, for lack of a better word, hater that has been taking cheap shots at Tiger for more than a decade. I will certainly admit that we need to probably discuss what happened in that crash and whether or not it's related to Tiger's other incidents with DUI and even the crash in, in 2009. But Rick Riley is absolutely not the source. I'm going to take that from. So I like that. This is why we love John Lewis and his opinion, sportsmediawatch.com podcast. All right. A couple of things. Can I just share with you? Uh, you mentioned the different feeds and the different stuff going on. CBS used to be able to get away with this. They can't get away anymore with showing things later. And it cropped up twice with Rory McIlroy on Sunday. Once he's putting for Eagle on the 13th hole, very makeable. Um, and they go to commercial knowing that he's going to do that. These mm -hmm. small commercial windows, but they're gone. Now, all over the internet, everybody knows he's made the Eagle. It's all over social media, John, that he's made it. While the commercial's going on, because you have all these feeds, Masters Live, ESPN Plus, 
they come back on and they're showing another golfer now and people are, are still going crazy for 30 or 60 seconds. Show us the Eagle putt. Mm-hmm. We know he has made this. I'm seeing it on Twitter. I'm seeing it uh, on social media. And finally they did. You can't get away with that anymore yeah. in 2022. Um, and then the moment with Nick Faldo, and I thought this was interesting, a little inside baseball, you know where I'm going with this where Nick Faldo is in the 18th tower. And there was a little reveal. If you were paying attention that Jim Nance was apparently not sitting next to him at that point, he was maybe in the Butler cabin where they do the interviews or somewhere else. But Nick Faldo says, Jim, something has just happened here. And he goes, I'm shaking. I don't (laughs) want to spoil it. Well, you just spoiled it. Show it already. And it was Rory McIlroy's bunker shot on the 18th hole to finish with a birdie to finish with a 64. So Faldo gave it away. He tipped the end of the movie. Yeah. He tipped the plot twist or the swerve. He he tipped it. But I thought it was just a little subtle fascination that Nance wasn't sitting there with him to help quarterback that and figure out how do we handle this when they're roaring around me and Nance isn't there and what do we do and are we going to show this now? It just happened. Are we going to show this now? What do you think of all of that, by the way? Well, uh, you know, that was a bit of a uh, Waldo, Geraldo, Faldo moment for Nick Faldo, right? A bit of a a screw up. But look, you know, it's not Nick Faldo's fault. You can't, you can't, you know, you can't expect people to fully commit to the bit, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. he's there to talk. He's there to be authentic. He can't necessarily pretend, oh, we haven't seen this yet. And like you said, you know, come on, just, you know, don't, don't, don't insult the viewers, right? You don't need to go to commercial in that moment. There's like two commercials in the entire CBS Masters broadcast. What was the point? So, you know, uh, I don't think Nick Baldo should have taken any heat for that. And the, and the one then again at the end, they were even commenting, Dottie uh, Pepper, who does a great job on the on-course uh, reporting, she said, we heard that roar from 18 all the way back down here, like on the 15th hole. And that is a good, John, if you've ever, I've been, and for those that have been, you don't understand and appreciate, you can hear roars from half a mile away, literally. She said, we heard that roar all the way down here on that bunker shot uh, when it went in. It's one of the neat things about that place. All right, so a lot on the Masters and a lot on the golf. Uh, Let's progress now into what we have in the present with baseball. I know one of the things that you've been writing about uh, and that we're talking about is the end of the NBA regular season has happened. At the time you and I are releasing uh, the podcast here, the NBA's play-in playoffs are about to be played on Tuesday night and Wednesday night. I want to get all of this straight. The Tuesday night games, again, you may already know the results. If you're listening to us later in the week, you do know the results. Cleveland and Brooklyn are playing the first game on Tuesday night, the seventh place, eighth place game on Tuesday. The L.A. Clippers and the Minnesota Timberwolves are playing after that, both of these games on Turner, on TNT for Tuesday night. The Wednesday night games, John, as you know, but I'm sharing it for the audience, are Charlotte and Atlanta the 10th and the ninth seeded teams on ESPN first up Wednesday night, the second game of the doubleheader, San Antonio Spurs, uh, New Orleans Pelicans. The winners of the two games will then get a day off a day in between on uh, Thursday. And then the uh, final two playoff games of the play in will be Friday night at the lower seeded teams or the higher, I can't ever keep that straight. The higher seeded teams uh, home site. Okay, so about the play-in, here it is again for this year. What are your thoughts? Turner again has it Tuesday night, ESPN on Wednesday. The ultimate goal is to determine the eighth seed in the Eastern and Western Conference to plug into a series play. 
Well, you know, one, let's just keep in mind, these are not the games that ESPN would typically want to air. Charlotte, Atlanta, San Antonio, New Orleans. I mean, this is where you start to get into the point where what exactly are you getting out of the play-in when these are the matchups? Now, obviously, they got lucky, and Brooklyn had a terrible season by their standards, and they're in the play-in. Playing Cleveland, a compelling matchup for TNT. Clippers, T-Wolves, another matchup that's pretty good. But, you know, I mean, all things being said, I think the play-in is good for the league from the standpoint of teams that ultimately would otherwise have nothing to play for have something to play for. The Lakers were horrible all year and still had something to play for, like, you know, up until a few days ago. So, you know, I mean, it's good from that standpoint, but I'll put it this way. That Warriors-Lakers game last year was misleading. You're not going to get that every year. They're not going to come close to that for, for these matchups this year. I mean, first of all, Brooklyn's going to win tonight, and, you know, no one really is, is concerned about that, uh, given the, the Cavs' uh, play down the stretch, the absence of Jared Allen. Uh, the absence of Jared Allen has, of course, hurt both of those teams. Uh, the Nets really shouldn't have traded him. But, um, you know, uh, so that's like the only game that really has any major national interest. Uh, and so once you get to Wednesday and Friday – I think you're going to see the play-in kind of settle into being maybe modestly better than an end-of-the-season game would be. Well, and and it's not something, if I'm correct, that the NBA is long-term committed to. It's still kind mm-hmm. of a wait-and-see thing. Clearly, they've created interest at the end of the regular season. Baseball did the same thing with their with their one-game playoff wild card, right. which they now are going to do away with, by the way. I don't know if that's this year. I'm so confused with baseball. Can I digress for just one second? Yeah. Because they want all of these changes to be made. The universal DH in the National League, no more shifts, do away with the wild card baseball game. But most of it is not in effect for 2022, even though they reached a labor agreement. So is it well the I'm, wild card I'm, is the wild card's in effect this year. Maybe I, I I'll yeah. take your word for it. I'm confused yeah. on what they're doing or not doing, but I thought I read where they're doing away with the wild card play-in thing, where exactly. now the wild card will go and play a series like years before. Mm-hmm. It's the manufactured drama. They want to copy yeah. the NCAA tournament or the NFL playoffs for the one and done scenario, both basketball and baseball here. Well, if- do you if believe they really it devalues want to... things? Just real quick. Do you believe it devalues the playoffs, whether we're talking about the biggest name teams in there or not? Do you think it devalues this somewhat or no? Well, let me say, if they really wanted to mimic the 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 NCAA, they'd keep the one game. They wouldn't have it be best of three. I think best of three is going to be a hard sell because it's you know three games. You know, we saw that in twenty, and did people enjoy it? You know, I mean, no one really enjoyed much of anything in twenty, but. You know, I mean, did people really enjoy those that, that I mean, there were no fans, I know, but even if there had been fans, it just doesn't seem like it was something all that compelling. Uh, and so do, I think it's good. I think any extra inventory is smart from a TV perspective and baseball had to do it in order to get more money from ESPN. So that's what I think that that's circumstances. Is it good for the game? Uh, I don't really think anyone in major league baseball cares what's good for the game. Right. <laughs> Rob Manfred doesn't. That's for sure. So, you know, I mean. Is it good for the owners financially? Yeah. And that's good for the game. That's what, that's the definition of good for the game. Now. Um, I, I do think that when all is said and done, um, you know, I don't want to sound like Bob Costas uh, and be too much of a purist here. Uh, I think, you know, I mean, baseball is still not letting in that many teams, right? You're still having a, a circumstance where, most of the teams are not making the playoffs. It's not like the NBA where now you have 20, 
you know, I mean, it's an absurd 20 teams that are making it in by the playing or playoffs. It's not like that, but it's also just, you know, maybe a little bit too much. Okay. So the NBA play in for the playoffs uh, again, beginning on Thursday or Tuesday and Wednesday, you will know those results as you listen to us here. One other point on that. Well, I did want to say, you know, the NBA is uh, crowing and justifiably after all the heat that they've taken for their ratings over the past couple of years that they had their most watched regular season since 2018, 19. Obviously we're talking about 1920 and 2021, not exactly normal seasons, but nonetheless, uh, people made a lot of hay out of those abnormal seasons. So I, I certainly have no problem with the NBA bragging about beating those abnormal seasons uh, up 19% from 2020, 2021. Uh, and uh, you know, Hey, look, uh, is the NBA going to get back to where it was? Well, is anything other than football and realistically, even football, if we look at the household ratings, you know, right. 36 rating for the Super Bowl, Right. So, you know, uh, you, for what it is for where we are, I think the NBA has got to be pretty pleased and a season where the Lakers were garbage all year long. Uh, you know, I mean, to, to have your second biggest draw and LeBron James missed the playoffs and, and be part of a team that was terrible all season. And you're still up 19%. I think, uh, you can certainly be pleased with that. All right. And we'll see how their postseason progresses. And again, it takes forever because yeah. everything, correct me if I'm wrong, but everything is best of seven starting in the next round after the first round. Uh, no, it's all best of seven. All best of seven. Yeah. It just goes, it goes and goes. It is truly a second season that will yeah. be taking place there uh, for the NBA. A couple of more subjects. We are going to play some love it or leave it here uh, at the very end. Also, when we're releasing uh, the podcast on sportsmediawatch.com and the sportsmediawatch.com uh, podcast, the debut of Bob Costas, speaking of Turner, will also be taking place for TBS's national baseball coverage. He will work the game Tuesday night, and forgive me, I don't have the game in front of me. You probably do with Ron Darling, their longtime analyst. John, pick it up from there because Costas will be back on, albeit cable, network TV doing a game here. Yeah, Padres Giants tonight. Uh, remember, the Padres were like a big deal. Uh, so we'll see if they're able to, to <laughs> continue that. Uh, Padres Giants tonight, and then uh, next week, I it's another West Coast game, but I, I don't know off the top of my head. Look, you know, Costas is an interesting character. Uh, he is one of the greatest of all time. He has a way with words that very few people do in this industry, and he has a gravitas that he brings that is unmatched. Um, at the same time, he has a, a level of pomposity that I'm sure even he recognizes is probably a little bit much for people. And folks, uh, there's a lot of people on social media who really, really dislike him. But, you know, I mean, look, I mean, are you asking me, like, who's who's the better play-by-play voice, Brian Anderson or Bob Costas? I know my answer. And it's right. no disrespect to Brian Anderson, right? Uh, my answer is probably Brian Anderson and Brian Anderson's answer too, right? Because if you were to get Brian Anderson some truth serum, he'd probably say, yeah, it's Bob Costas, you know, but people have a problem with him. And I think he's cognizant of that. I think Costas is not, Costas has a high level of pomposity, but he doesn't have the ego. He, he, he's not a big ego guy. He's, he's not going to, you know, strut around saying I'm the greatest. I think he recognizes his own flaws and understands them. And that's part of the reason why he's so low key about losing huge positions. Uh, and so for him, you know, it's, he's going to get some social media blowback, I'm sure just by being there, but you know, he is, he is the best Turner could possibly get. Well, and keep, keep a couple of things in mind. He, he became 
synonymous almost with that game of the week and NBC and, and building his career in and around baseball and the game of the week and having worked in St. Louis on radio with Jack Buck, et cetera, doing baseball, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Baseball's always been his first love, his main love. And so him calling a game, I know he called a game last Friday for the MLB Network. He has regularly called games for them as well, including postseason games in and around this. Not uncommon. Uh, I'm a big I'm a big fan of Ron Darling as an analyst Uh, in my household. Ron Darling is popular because my wife was a humongous New York Mets fan, even living her whole life in St. Petersburg, Florida. Why, John Lewis? Because the Mets trained in St. Petersburg, Florida for spring training. So she loved uh, all the good looking Met ball players. I'm not embarrassing her by saying this. She loved Ron Darling. There is a photo that I will show sometime and I may even have you put it out on a social media post or on the site where my wife as a 16 year old, I'm now dating her goes for her 16th birthday up to the big apple during the Mets 86 season and happens to run into Ron Darling at the cabbage patch store. Remember the cabbage patch dolls, Ron Darling is in the cabbage patch store with his family. There's a picture, including my wife and Ron Darling. Anyway, she's a huge darling fan away from the field. I'm a darling guy in terms of the broadcasting. I'm interested to to hear how he and Costas will do together. I'm sure it'll be good. Some will be annoyed, but I'm sure it'll be good. Do you have a quick thought on that as as that pairing kicks off? Yeah. I mean, Ron Darling is excellent and I'm sure that'll be a good partnership. You know, uh, it's, it's not going to be, if you want to know a partnership that I'm not sure about, it's Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreet. I'm not sure about that, Mm -hmm. but you know, Costas and Ron Darling, I'm sure they'll, uh, I'm sure they'll have good chemistry together. Darling always insightful and always uh, seems to be uh, pointing things out in advance, tipping you off to watch for this or he sees this or whatever. So I'm anxious to hear them. One more quick aside. Do you know the Bob Costas, Brian Anderson story about Costas encouraging him to continue broadcasting? No. How about this? So Brian Anderson was contemplating, do I really want to continue to hang in there and do this? And one of the mentors for him, one of the guys that encouraged him and said, you have talent you are going to get opportunity hang in there was Bob Costas. And as it turns out, Brian Anderson has blossomed with his talent, with the, with the encouragement of others, with the help of his agent, with all the things that opened the doors. He is now one of the elite broadcasters at Turner still does. I believe the Milwaukee Brewers some during the season, but Bob Costas, how about that was a mentor encouraging him at a time where where he wasn't sure if he wanted to continue on a grand scale to be a broadcaster. Just thought I would share. Yeah. These are nuggets you pick up here and there on the sportsmediawatch.com podcast. And I will say, you know, Anderson, who had his troubles, you know, the Virginia call, where he, he you know, it messed up the call there, kind of had a weird finish to a game seven involving the Spurs and Nuggets that same year. He's improved a great deal just over the past couple of years. Uh, I thought he was much better in the tournament this year than he has been in the past. So, you know, and that's all you can do is just stick it out and try to improve where you can. No doubt about that. I, I still remember you, uh, you keep referencing that Kentucky unbeaten team in college basketball in 2015 before they got to the final four, the elite eight game was against Notre Dame. And I still vividly remember this Marv Albert had gotten sick as the lead broadcaster on Turner And they said to Brian Anderson, we need you to get to Cleveland to be able to call this game. The Kentucky-Notre Dame game massively rated that night. Notre Dame beating them at the very end, the unbeaten season in peril before Kentucky pulled it out in the final minute. 
and Brian Anderson was nails. I think he was with Chris Weber that night, I believe. They were all over what a great night and a great moment that just got Kentucky to the Final Four, where obviously Kentucky lost in the next game. Wisconsin got them in the next game. But I still remember Brian Anderson in a pinch. We'll prop him up more. It's like I'm being his marketing guy or his PR guy on the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. But in a pinch, he showed up, called an important game, and did well with it, as I recall. Yeah, no, that was a big moment. And then uh, Marv was uh, off the tournament after that. And uh, that's why Brian Anderson has the role. Marv was always the lead Turner guy for the tournament. And Brian Anderson replaced him in that position. I think it's well-deserved on that one. Okay, few minutes left here. Let's get into it. Let's play it a little bit. Here we go. Love it or leave it. Uh, subject number one, love it or leave it. So Apple Plus debuted their baseball coverage. Also, ESPN2 debuted the K-Rod, Michael K, Alex Rodriguez, A-Rod broadcast. Do I dare position it as which one was less putrid or which one smelled mm -hmm. less? I, I heard, I did not, I, I got to confess, I don't have Apple Plus. I didn't hear the broadcast. I did not see the Michael K a-Rod broadcast, Sunday night baseball, Yankees, Red Sox. All right, John, give me some feel for this on Love It or Leave It. Well, you know, I didn't see either of these things either. I saw the social media reaction. So the social media reaction to the K-Rod was, uh, it was obviously going to be negative. It's Alex Rodriguez, who a lot of people hate, and it's the Yankees, who a lot of people hate. And I like Michael K and everything, but I think a lot of people also kind of, I think a lot of people kind of hate Michael Kay a little bit, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm not trying to be mean, but I think that's true, right? So the reality is that, um, I mean, of course, what do you think the rating was for this thing in Boston? That's my question. You know, I, may, I might even ask ESPN if they can tell me what the rating was in Boston. Was it negative five? You know, I mean... Right. Longtime New York Yankee announcer and longtime hated New York Yankee for the Boston fans, Alex Rodriguez, I, I'm thinking unless you were being held hostage in Boston, you're probably not watching that feed. Probably exactly. not. Well, maybe if uh, Baratech was there, you know, but look, the reality is that, uh, you know, it did well. It did 264,000 viewers, which sounds like nothing, but that's not bad, um, you know, for an alternate presentation. That's more than was watching. What did the, the, what did the main broadcast do? Oh, the main broadcast is like 2.2 million. Okay. So, like, uh, let's be real, right? But, you know, if you can get 264,000 for an alternate presentation, tack on an extra 0.15 rating onto a 1.2. So it's not, instead of a 1.2 rating because of the K-Rod cast, it's a 1.4. And you're going from 2.2 million viewers to what? Uh, if I could do the math, we look at like 2.4 or something. I mean, that's not bad. Uh, you know, so uh, there was, uh, I mean, I'm surprised so many people tuned in. I mean, honestly, because uh, the, the Sue Bird Tarasi uh, presentation the previous Sunday night on the game was about, if I recall correctly. So it did better than that. Uh, now, you know, granted, it had more hype than the Sue Bird Tarasi one, but uh, I think, I mean, it's satisfactory. We'll see if people continue with it. Obviously, nothing in nothing within a million miles of, of the Manning cast, but it right. should be noted the Manning cast was low in week one and got much better the following weeks. Uh, so we'll see if this is uh, people tuning in, giving it a shot and deciding never again, or if maybe people, 
I mean, there's, but there's no good word of mouth really. But if there is any kind of word of mouth, even if it's just, let's go watch this and make some MST3, uh, MST3K style jokes about it, you know, we'll see if maybe <laughs> mystery science theater finds yeah. its way onto the sports media watch.com podcast again. Yes, I love indeed. that. Indeed. Make the comments. Well, but again, uh, Alex Rodriguez is never going to be the Manning brothers in terms and, and Eli is not what Peyton is. Peyton stirs that drink. Peyton drives that bus, whatever, Whatever okay. metaphor you want to use, Michael K is not going to be able to get that out of A-Rod. And Michael K at times was trying to call the game because, again, baseball is different than, than what the NFL is. The NFL, you've got the eight or ten second play, the six or eight second play, and now we've got 30 seconds to go whatever. Baseball, it's just constant. You've got to fill it's not going to be it's not going to be the same so and again in full disclosure i did not watch it but one of the common complaints was that a rod just doesn't have enough personality right carry this and it's not going to be the same and we should make mention repeat this here what you alluded to the main broadcast of monday night football was still drawing what john 10 million 12 million maybe more while the Manning cast was only drawing only around a million or a million and a half. It's not as if it was neck and neck. we got to keep that in perspective. Yeah. And, uh, you know, social media will have you believe that the Manning cast was doing better than the regular broadcast. That's just not true. Um, Alternate presentations are a tough sell in terms of matching the main broadcast. People will watch the traditional broadcast, but what they can do is add viewership that you might not have otherwise had. Uh, I, I see these as not being, you know, it's not cannibalizing the main broadcast, but being additive. And I think that's the key because there's no way you're getting a 1.4 and 2.4 you know, million for a regular season baseball game in April, even if it's Red Sox Yankees. So to me, I think that that was additive. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's really all you're looking for if you're ESPN is a little bit extra on the top. All right, let's get to another subject here. Love it or leave it. The reincarnation of the USFL is back. Uh, Very interesting here that it will be on both Fox and NBC for the debut game. There are eight teams. Again, this is weird. One of the teams is in the area, air quotes, where I live, the Tampa Bay Bandits. Uh, Full disclosure, I went to numerous Tampa Bay Bandit games. Again, John, I'm older. As a teenager, I went to their USFL games when I had moved here with my family. The teams are not even in the markets. Birmingham, Houston, New Jersey, et cetera, uh, Pittsburgh, I believe, uh, Detroit, Michigan. They're all playing in Birmingham, Alabama. They're all centralized. All the games are there. None of the games in the local market. The teams have no connection to the local market. Example in my market, you don't know who any of the players are. There's no marketing of the players or any of this. This is purely a television product. It begins this weekend with a simulcast on both Fox and NBC. John, love it or leave it. The USFL re-debuting yet another spring football league. Here we go. Well, you know, I don't think it's going to work. You know, look, the XFL worked, even though the ratings were going down by the week. I'm not talking about the original XFL, the new one. Uh, the ratings are going down by the week and they were going to get even lower, but it was working. You want to know why it was working? Because it felt like real foot. Well, not real football. It felt like a real sports league, right? It felt established. It, you didn't feel like it, like people were trying to pretend it was something. It just, it had the feel of real sports, maybe not NFL level, but you know, something that you weren't necessarily slumming it to watch. And 
that's just rare for these types of alternate football leagues. And as you mentioned, the lack of any tie to, you know, uh, uh, the home market is understandable, but not the only work. exception is the Birmingham team is obviously playing in Birmingham. They're in this primetime game Saturday night standalone. That will have some interest. But again, the three games on Sunday are all being played in Birmingham right after each other. Houston, Michigan, Philadelphia, New Orleans Breakers, Tampa Bay Bandits, Pittsburgh Maulers. There's no allegiance to any of those teams in Birmingham. There's no allegiance in those individual markets. This is purely a television product. There's no pretense here. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, we talked about this before, you know, the USFL is a really old brand. Like the XFL was less than 20 years in the rear view when they did the reboot, the USFL, I, I mentioned this in a previous podcast. I mean, you, you know how many, like, it's 1983. Reagan right. is the president, right? right? I mean, it's it's just a completely different era of American life where the USFL was relevant. Uh, and it is true that the 18 to 49 demographic includes 49-year-olds, right? Which means there are going to be people in 18 to 49 who remember the, ex- the USFL. Right. But you're not going to get the kind of numbers that you want in that demo just based on nostalgia alone because the rest of that 1849 demo only knows about the USFL through that documentary and a documentary they probably haven't even seen. So it's, you know, I don't know. I, I just, if it's not going to be the nostalgia, then it's got to be the football. If it's not going to be the football, then it's got to be the atmosphere. And if you don't have the nostalgia factor, the football factor or the atmosphere, I don't really know what you have. You're going to be out of business. Yeah. I'll finish that sentence for you. Yeah. Uh, I, I just one more thing here on on going through all of this. Obviously, the Alliance of American Football and full disclosure, I have friends and acquaintances that were working in both that league and the XFL league. There was a Tampa Bay team in the XFL, the Tampa Bay Vipers. I have friends and colleagues that got the bad news. I got friends and colleagues that got the bad news on the doomsday for the Alliance of American Football. Both of those leagues failed and ceased operation during the season. Now, in the XFL's case, the COVID-19 pandemic was beginning right in the middle of their season, but they were already plummeting with Vince McMahon looking for an ejection handle on how much money they were losing. Uh, So I I just I wonder, John Lewis, is this going to survive beyond a year here with what with even though they've scaled it back cost wise, it's purely a TV product prediction time does this does this last a season does it last beyond a season because it previously did not last a season with the last two incarnations of it i think it'll last a season because fox seems to be owning it um but i just feel like it's a waste of time i mean it's at a certain point you have to come to the realization that if spring football was going to work it was going to be the xfl two years ago and forces beyond anyone's control you know destroyed that that was the shot that was the one shot, like in the Eminem song, right? And it's over, you know? Uh, the new XFL that's coming out, it's got the rock. It's not going to be what it was two years ago. That was a particular moment in time where, if not for COVID, it's probably still on. You know, maybe not, maybe not. But, you know, it's it, that was it. Too many incarnations of it, and again, Dwayne The Rock Johnson's version of the XFL has had to wait two years since he was able to grab it um, to to try to relaunch it. And they already have a controversy, by the way, because they put a logo out 
and Sue Bird and Megan Rapino and their foundation and everybody associated with their sponsors and whatever went, whoa, 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 that looks almost like our logo. Uh-uh. So it makes you wonder, makes you dubious. Was that for attention for the XFL? I don't know. So they got a logo uh-huh. fight that's going on for the XFL logo. And they're going to have to probably come back out with another one, a different one. There's nothing more distinctive than the letter X. So you know, anytime <laughs> you're using the letter X, you're infringing on a copyright somewhere, right? Maybe. Uh, anything else here? As we come to the close of another edition, we've covered Masters. We've covered some baseball, the NBA play-in, uh, even the USFL. Anything else, John, before we're done? Uh, let's talk a little bit about the Adam Schefter story from over the weekend. You know, okay. uh, so a lot of this is a tough one because I think there's a lot of different opinions here that are correct. Well, let's clarify shot. what we mean. You're talking about the tragic, awful circumstance right. of the death of Dwayne Haskins, the Pittsburgh Steelers, former exactly. Washington, now Commanders football team, former Ohio State Buckeye, hit by a dump truck, a garbage yeah. dump truck early morning hours of Saturday, and you're referring to Adam Schefter putting a tweet out and then having to walk it back, pick it up from there. So he told no lies and he took no cheap shots. It is true that Dwayne Haskins struggled to cash on in the NFL, and there's nothing wrong with that. But it wasn't the right time and place, which is to say you mention the realities of someone's life in the obituary, not in the breaking news item announcing their death. And I think that that was an important mistake that he made because ultimately people are going after Schefter acting like he, you know, was going out of his way to insult Dwayne Haskins. It is perfectly legitimate to point out that he struggled in his NFL career. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. It's not like an offensive statement. But when you say that in the announcement of his death, one, how you inform people of something like that does matter as you know and so when you inform somebody about something like that the emotions are high and that's not the right time but the obituary that's all fair game i I take it back to the kobe bryant circumstance a few years ago Uh, a lot of people were extremely offended and upset when people were bringing up colorado that day and uh I'm, I agree with that. I agree that that was, you know, you know, people like Felicia Somnez in the Washington Post. I, I found all of that extremely tacky. But Colorado is a huge part of Kobe's life. It's a huge part of his life story. Uh, it's a huge part of the alleged victim's life story as well, which we don't want to forget. Uh, you know, and the reality is that you can't talk about Kobe's life without Colorado being a huge part of it. So to me, you save that for the obituary, right? But when you're talking in that breaking news context, the context of this tragedy has just happened and people are in an emotional state of shock, maybe you don't mention that at that time. Now, that's not me saying put it off for later. The obituary is often published the very same day. But the obituary is a different kind of story than the breaking news item. So to me, the breaking news item probably should just focus on the breaking news. And then the obituary, which again, we're not talking about three, four weeks later. It's usually the same exact day. Right. The obituary can go into the realities of that person's life, whether it's something as trivial as they didn't catch on in the NFL or something as serious as Colorado. That's, in my view, where you include that discussion. Schefter, by the way, uh, immensely prominent information guy, got the information on this story. Um, 
Full disclosure here, I am friends with Cedric Saunders and his wife. Cedric Saunders is a former Ohio State football player. He is a former employee in the front office of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a former employee in the front office of the Detroit Lions, and had embarked out with some others as an agent and Dwayne Haskins' agent. And so I've not actually talked to Cedric uh, this week about any of this, I've I've left all well enough alone. I haven't spoken to Cedric in easily a year, probably, but I'm well aware that he's an agent, uh, et cetera. And that's that's who Adam, and Adam Schefter cited it. That's who he got the info from. Put the tweet out. One more thing on this, and I know you've got to go, and we got to go as well here. Um, is he should have, if he was going to apologize or come clean, should have already said so on ESPN. I agree with those that are criticizing him on saying, hey, listen to my podcast, which he's saying now to hear more on my apology and, and, and why I did what I did. That's a little cheesy to me. That's TJ saying that, John. I don't know if you want to weigh in on that before. Well, we yeah, it is. It is cheesy. That's uh, not not a smart way to go about it. I, you know. And it's so difficult because I don't think Schefter said anything inappropriate. I think he said something in the wrong place, which is very time and score, as we like to say. Yeah, exactly. Time and place. There's nothing inappropriate about noting the reality that this man struggled to catch on to the NFL. And there's nothing offensive about that. He struggled. Okay, big deal. The, what, the, what people are saying, though, which I do think is important, is that the sum and total of a man's life is not whether they struggled in the NFL. But I don't think that's Schefter's problem. I think that's our problem. We are the ones who have created collectively a world where the first thing, the parenthetical of someone's obituary is that they struggle to catch on to the NFL. Adam Schefter is simply operating within that you know, frame of mind. If, you know, if we had a healthier attitude towards sports, perhaps we would instead note all the other things about him, that he was a brother and a son and, and you know, a, a father and a husband and all of these various things. But it's not Schefter's fault that the most notable aspect of his football career is what goes into that parenthetical. In my view, that's on us. We are the ones who only engage with these athletes as athletes and have no interest in their personal lives, Right and have no interest in who they are as men. We're the ones who conflate struggling in your football career with a personal failing, right? That's, I think it kind of tells on us a little bit that we see the word struggle to catch on with Washington and Philadelphia and, and Pittsburgh and think, oh, what an insult. Why is that an insult? You know how many people make it to the NFL? You know how many people <laughs> actually make it to the NFL? You know how many people are a first round draft pick? Yeah, he struggled to catch on. Let me tell you something. Everyone who's ever made it to an NFL team, including like Jamarcus Russell, is a huge success story. And so it's on us that we read struggle to catch on and we think, wow, what an insult. It's not an insult. You know, I mean, it's just the, it's just the breaks of the game, man. Some, some people are able to make it and some people aren't. It doesn't mean anything about anybody. And he didn't even have a chance to make it because he was just getting ready to go to a different team. And who knows how different things could have played out for him there. Very true. So few make it. Most do not make it, which oh, yeah. is what your point is on that. And I think we'll leave it right there for that part of the discussion. This is why you're here for the takes on the sportsmediawatch.com podcast. John, as always, I appreciate it. We'll see how the NBA playoff play-in games set the table uh, for the uh, for the upcoming postseason. Miami, by the way, and Phoenix are the two teams that are waiting for whoever those number eight seeds are at the very yeah. end of the play-in. 
Uh, the baseball starting up, Stanley Cup playoffs before we know it and much more. And John, we encourage them to read sportsmediawatch.com. Thank you, sir. We'll do this again soon. Hey, thank you. And, uh, you know, just one more thing on this. Uh, there's a book called The Iron Team by uh, Aaron Tarver, and he talks about mascotting and hero worship of athletes. All too often, we're in that mascotting frame of mind where we view them as kind of a means to an end for our own personal goals. If you've got a problem with what Schefter said, think about the way that you contribute. Think about the way that you interact with athletes that results in, you know, those struggles being the main story of his life. Well said on that. I think we're good for uh, John Lewis. I'm TJ Reeves. Thank you for being with us on this edition of the sportsmediawatch.com podcast.